So we now continue our reading and study through the Sermon on the Mount. Hear now the word of God from the fifth chapter of Matthew, verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Father, teach us in this time what we, your people, are about here in this world that is at odds with you and us. Teach us how to live our lives and how to think about matters so that we would follow after righteousness and be that which you have told us we are. And make the application specific to each one of us. Sift us and think and have us to think through and that you would try our hearts and try our thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in us. Lead us in the everlasting way and the eternal way that would make us more effective in this life. More effective in this earth. And so Lord, we ask that your spirit would have us to reevaluate our lives and how we're living. And may we always be pressing on toward the mark that is before us. May we never grow settled or stagnant in our sanctification and progress. But use us, O Lord, as means of your holiness and righteousness upon this earth to affect this earth in great ways. For the cause and the great name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As Matthew's gospel opened, it began announcing the kingdom in the presence and in the person of Jesus Christ who has come to this earth. And the forerunner began to preach the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And that was John. And Jesus comes shortly after speaking the same message. And he is this great king. And the kingdom of God has now come upon the earth. And in this great sermon that he begins to expound in the hearing of the people and the disciples, he began this great message in the character, the very different kind of character, the unusual character of his kingdom people. A character that is not of the flesh, it is not of this world, it is not something that can be emulated, but it is the character that is truly supernatural in this world, but that all of God's people who are in Christ have. And this particular character, which starts off poor in spirit and goes to mourning for sins and and meekness and the hungering and thirst, it, it climaxes in this last characteristic, and that is being persecuted for the very things that we hunger for. And here we are introduced to this great antithesis in this world and yet part of the kingdom that we have been made is now to to be something that God has made us to be. The kingdom has come in the person of Jesus Christ, but its power and its influence are visible here on the earth only in the church. And with the people 
that the world least likely expects to see such strength, people who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek. And as we see the contrast of these two worldviews, these two kingdoms, these two races of people quite in contrast with each other, it then asks us, or at least imposes the question, how then should we live in this foreign land out of which we have been saved? How can we make an impact here? And that's what Jesus now moves us into as He uses two pictures from everyday life and He declares that we are salt and light. And that is what we are intended to be while living in this pagan, fallen world. Jesus is not commanding the people to be salt and light. He is explaining to them that His kingdom people are already that but with the implication that we need to be and to live out what God has made us to be. And some strong words Jesus uses here when He says that you're salt, but if your salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing. So a Christian is useless in this world, unless he lives out what God has made him to be. If a Christian loses his saltiness, he's useless. That's an exhortation and an encouragement to help us to understand what our role is here and why we are left here. Now, salt was a valuable commodity in the ancient world. Because of the importance it played. You know, it's a pretty important commodity still. But in order to help us understand the metaphor in which Jesus was using, let's learn a little bit more about salt in his day. I'd like for us to consider at least four characteristics of salt, how it was used, and the things that they used it for then so that we can understand what Jesus was intending when he was expressing that his people are salt. First of all, salt is a pre- preservative, and it's a preservative by way of prevention. Salt prevents the breakdown of and decay in preventing. So it preserves things by preventing other things. Salt prevents the Breakdown and decay of things like meat by preventing bacteria from growing. It does this by drawing out the water and dehydrating the bacteria, which reduces the chemical reactions necessary for that bacteria to thrive. Today, we know in these southern parts something that is called. The salt-cured ham or country ham that you may see in a butcher's shop here in the south. I don't know if you see it in other parts. Certainly, it's an old European technique, of uh, an ancient technique of just encrusting the meat and salt, which draws the moisture out and it keeps bacteria from growing and it doesn't need refrigeration. You can hang a country ham up 
at room temperature, and it will last for more than a year without spoiling. And that's the idea. It's one of the characteristics that salt does. It is a preservative. And that is one of the characteristics of what God's people are here on this earth. We are a preservative. Our saltiness here on earth acts to preserve the world from further decay and from destruction. Sin is like that destructive bacteria that will destroy the earth and all that is in it unless something prevents it. And that's what God's people are designed to do. That's why He left us here in this foreign environment so that we might act as a preservative, preventing the sinful reactions from overtaking the world. And when we get a picture in our mind now of salting the earth, or a piece of land, we have a a little different picture that comes to mind, because salting the earth was used sometimes by an invader that would come in and surround a city and capture it, and it would salt the fertile soil of the land, making it infertile for future use by preventing seeds to grow. And that's also how Christians are in this world. As long as we're salty and it salts the earth, it makes this place less fertile for the ungodly influences to flourish and grow. No matter what your circle of influence, no matter who you come in contact with, you are there in order to be a preservative and to be salt. The way you live your life in the presence of others should have an impact on preserving society around it. The way you do your business, the way you organize The local fire department, the way we work, everything about us needs to be salty in this fallen world which stands against the very principles and righteousness that God has revealed. And as we live for Christ according to His principles and we are faithful in that, we are salty. And God is preserving this world through His presence in His people here. Well, that's one way in which salt was used in the ancient world, but there's another way. Second characteristic of the way salt was used is it was used as a purifying agent. It was something that was used to purify and to heal and to cleanse. We have a vignette of this when Elisha cleanses the waters at Jericho from its poison by throwing salt into it, and he thus seems to reverse the curse that Joshua had placed upon it. In Ezekiel, we read of a custom in ancient time of taking a newborn baby and washing it in water and then rubbing it all over with salt. 
Ezekiel 16, 4 is speaking of that same analogy as it's pertaining to what God in Christ has done for us. As for your nativity, on the day that you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling clothes. And he is there revealing an abandoned baby of which he comes and takes care of. So it was believed that salt had properties that would heal and would purify. And yet the moral influence of Christians in this world acts not only as a preservative, but a purifying agent in the world. And that's why we are called to be holy. The very word holy means to be set apart. And it asks or implies the question to be set apart from what? To be set apart from the ways of the world, the principles of the world... And to be set apart unto God. And yet we're left here in this world. And God then uses us and the presence here to preserve and to purify it. So that your actions and your conduct in the circle of people that you come in contact with, it tempers their conduct. If you're salty. This can happen on a corporate level as us as a church. Or it can happen on an individual level with you and one other person. As long as you're salty, there's an effect and an influence upon this world and a purifying one at that. When you're in the world among unbelievers, your actions and your moral decisions act to purify the environment around you. It's a redemptive living. Because as you live for the Lord Jesus Christ and you live righteously, it is causing His presence to be known in the place where you are. It may be uncomfortable. You may receive persecution for it, but we've already seen how blessed that is by God rewarding it. But you are to be salt. You create an atmosphere that makes it more difficult for corruption and its influences to flourish. But not only is your saltiness a preserving factor... And a purifying factor, your salt is a seasoning factor. The Oxford English Dictionary, one meaning for the word seasoning means to give zest to. It adds flavor to make food more palatable. Salt is one of the oldest seasonings known to man. Long before spices came into the world, or at least were known through the the, the Greek and the Roman world, salt was sometimes the only seasoning that would be used on food. And one of the main taste buds that God has given us on the tongue and in the mouth is a sensory perception of salt. We can taste salt. It's what gives food more zest. Job 6, 
The scripture says, can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? See, we are salts, not just a preservative, not just a purifying agent, but we're seasoning. We add zest to this earth. It gives us zest in the way that salt does to food. And some Christians have a wrong view of this. Some Christians think that the world has the zest and we have the boredom or the dull, lifeless life. And it is exactly the opposite, so do not be fooled by the lies right out of hell. The zest we have in life is full of the Spirit. It is full of life. It is full of joy and peace and love. The very things that the world is seeking after but cannot find, Christians have it. So never be ashamed of being purifying influence around those who may not receive it because it is the very thing they are longing for. They're longing for zest in life. Everything about a Christian should express beauty and attractiveness and holiness. Your character should be beautiful. Your Outward appearance should be beautiful. Your responses in life's trials and challenges should be beautiful. Your actions and your words, your words. Paul is specifically using the term salt in these ways, specifically as he's addressing words, as he's closing the epistle that he wrote to the church at Colossae. He says in Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Now he explains what he's meaning there, speech being seasoned with salt, with grace. He gives a commentary on that in a parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. See, your speech is like salt. This is given in the context of the Spirit of God when it says to be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Walk in the light. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in love. Let not any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, that it might minister grace to the hearers. So not only is salt a preservative agent, not only is it a purifying agent, but it can be used for seasoning and it can build others up in grace. It makes life palatable. It makes it zesty. Sinclair Ferguson says on this point, speech is like salt. Too little and we do not taste the flavor of the food. Too much, and we are left with unpleasant taste of salt. Like salt, our lives and our speech are to bring out the flavor of Jesus Christ. 
Too much of ourselves, too much of our talk will likewise leave an unpleasant taste. So salt was used for a preservative. It was also used as a purifying agent. It was also used for seasoning. But there is another way in which the Bible uses salt, and that is a symbol of faithfulness. It's a symbol of our faithfulness. The sacrifices were always accompanied with salt. Leviticus 2.13, what we read earlier, in every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. Now the salt of a covenant, that phrase, is a symbol of faithfulness. It was intended to signify that the sacrifices were offered with hearts set on knowing and serving God. There's a specific offering in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament called a grain offering. Some would call it or translate it a meal offering, a cereal offering, or a bread offering. It wasn't merely just the raw grain that was offered to God, but it was grain that was taken, beat out, oil was added, and salt. And what do you have when you get grain and oil and salt? You have unleavened bread. But the grain offering, which was one of those designated offerings, did not exist, or at least not offered by itself. In itself, it did not involve the presentation of bloody flesh. But it always appeared in the company of other offerings that did, particularly the burnt offering. And we have to understand, every time we see that blood or the sacrifice of the Old Testament, we have to understand that as picturing the Lord Jesus Christ and His atoning work upon the cross for us. It is by His blood... And yet, here is the grain offering offered up on top of the burnt offering. And it goes up in the smoke as God eats His portion. And that is symbolizing one's devotion of his person and his property to the Lord. His faithfulness. It identifies His dedication As Christ Himself has atoned for His sins, now He is caught up in the smoke of the atonement, and yet He can offer no blood, but He offers His life, and He follows in the entirety of His life, and all of His property, and all that He is, it's God's, and it's a declaration of a symbol of His faithfulness and dedication to God. There's a sense, a sense of that in our tithe today. The way that we give our tithe, it is a representation of our devotion and faithfulness to the Lord because it shows where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And we're recognizing that we cannot cling to the things of this earth, but that we then give a first fruits of that which God has given to us, which demonstrates that mammon is not our master, but the Lord. And we seek His kingdom and His Righteousness first, knowing that everything will be cared for. 
And so the tithe is very much an aspect very similar to that grain offering, which represents the entire dedication of one and his property to the Lord. So the salt of the covenant was one's covenant faithfulness to God. And God's people have been brought into covenant with God and recipients of His divine grace that here on earth we are the faithful people delighting to do God's will, delighting in His commands, delighting to do those things whatsoever Christ has taught us. And salt is not one of those four things to you. You are not one of those four categories. You are salt. You are every bit of that. You, God has made you to be a preservation factor, a purifying agent, a zesty seasoning, and a faithful, devoted disciple. But Jesus warns us, as he declares who we are. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it, the earth, be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden underfoot by men. The point here is that salt must be salty in order to do any good. In other words, the church corporately and God's people individually must be different from the world. Salt is a very stable compound. How do you lose saltiness? You don't break the bond between sodium and chloride very easily. It's a very stable compound. It can withstand fire. You can't really destroy it or break it apart easily. Even when you put it in water, the water tastes salty. But the way that salt was obtained in the ancient days is it was mined, and particularly in the salt mines around the Dead Sea, which had a lot of salt in them. And they were mined in areas that also had a lot of other minerals, in particular things like gypsum. And gypsum was a, um, is a natural mineral as well that contains a lot of calcium in it. And when you go to mine out a lot of salt... If it's not pure, it has a lot of those other minerals in it, and it's just not salty. It lacks saltiness by mixture of something else with it. Now, this morning, I went out into my shop, and I've got two vessels here. One has pure salt in it, and the other has... Salt with gypsum in it. And I made a big mess of myself for the sake of you children in order to make the point. Can you tell which one is which? This is salt, and this is not. Well, it is. It has lots of salt in there, but it also has a lot of gypsum, drywall, 
this pretty salty and it has a lot of savor. This not so good. Now, for the sake of an illustration, perhaps maybe you will use some of this on your meal this afternoon and see how you like it. And that's the point. You wouldn't want to. It loses its effectiveness in seasoning and making the food zesty. I wouldn't go and try to eat meat after it's been encrusted in that particular mixture over a year. It's not very purifying. And it's certainly filled with mixture. And that is the point of how salt loses its savor. It's not because it changes in substance, but it has so much mixture of a foreign element to it that it loses its effectiveness as salt. There are traces still there, but it has no good use for it anymore. And that is the point when salt loses its distinction as salt by being so mixed with the world and being so mixed with other things that are not of this godly kingdom as it is mixed with the characteristics of the world, the entertainment of the world, and all the things of the world, it loses its distinctiveness. And when it does, it's good for nothing. You've missed your purpose. To be salty, you've got to be distinct from the world. That's what holiness is. It's of a different character. That's what those beatitudes were expressing. None of them are natural. You cannot achieve or do or be any one of those beatitudes in your flesh. There's an imposter that you can emulate, but that's not true what the character of the kingdom is. And Jesus emphasizes that our ability to preserve and purify and season and to be faithful in this world depends on us being different from it in character, in deeds, in action, in speech. But too often... The thinking of the world, or the church, or the thinking of the church, is the other way around. It says we need to be relevant to this world. We need to identify with this world so that our gospel will be accepted. We need to appeal to unbelievers based on their frame of reference, on their terms, in their sphere We need to make church non-threatening. Make it palatable in their ways. And that turns this passage completely upside down on its head when Jesus says you are to be salt with saltiness and savor that is distinct from this world and it is that which will add the zest. 
The world does not want a church that appeases them, that does worldly things, that is unholy. That is not really what the world wants. That's an imposter. Jesus is getting at this point when he's praying this great high priestly prayer in John 17 in the, in the presence of his disciples when he's praying to God the Father in one of those occasions where he prays out loud and his disciples are listening in and he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. But I'm leaving them here. To be salt. And how do we lose our saltiness? By being mixed with a lot of gypsum, foreign elements, minerals. Becomes useless for the seasoning. What good is it then to be thrown out? To be trodden under the foot of men? When an ancient would get a vial of salt like that, perhaps being mined from the perimeter of where the core vein of salt was found, and he did get a mouthful of calcium or gypsum or something else that the salt he determined was no good. The way he determines it because he tastes it and it's no good. So he would just cast it out. Now there are two ways in which he would cast it out. Sometimes on the rooftop, which would help seal the cracks up, and other times it would just be cast out as the refuge in the street. Because when salt loses its savor by being mixed with so foreign ingredients, it is no more good for salt. And that is what the Bible warns us as Paul begins to express it more fully in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Salty. Distinct. Unmixed. Saltiness. Because Jesus came into this world to change the world. And he left his people in this world to be the agent of preservation. An agent of purification. An agent of seasoning. And to show God's faithfulness to those who will so come. And the quickest way to lose our Savior is to mix with the world and the ways of the world. The thinking of the world. The speech and the talking of the world. It saddens me today how many Christians I hear using the foul language of the world unreservedly. As though they have a point to prove. Expressing the world's attitudes. Hanging out in the world's venues. 
being so much like the world in their speech and their conduct that they lose their saltiness and there is no savor because the distinction is gone. Saddens me. What good is that? You don't know how to live here. Good for nothing if that's the way we live. Our true effectiveness comes in this world when we are distinct, salty. To have the positive effects on this world, even if it means being persecuted for it, because you'll be all the more blessed in it. Rather than the world coming into your life to dilute your witness, to mix with your saltiness so that you lose its savor. So may Christ so live in us and through us that His Spirit will change the world around us in the distinction, in the holiness that He has made His people to be in the short time that we dwell here on this earth. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how we pray that Your Spirit would fill us and apply this truth to our lives, that in our sanctification we would be growing in our holiness as we delight to serve our God, as we desire to be more what you have made us to be and to live out more who we are in this world. Lord, make us to be strong in the spirit and the power of your might that we would make a difference in this world And that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And the light comes out and it dispels the darkness. And the salt is that which preserves and purifies and seasons this world. So Lord, make this to be ever mindful in our lives as we apply these truths and We pray that if there is a mixture in our life, in our attitude, our speech, our conduct, our associations, that this day the Spirit of God would prick our heart and show us and deliver us out of the darkness, away from Belial, into righteousness, away from lawlessness. And deliver us from those idols. Lord, we pray that you would make us distinct and holy people. Peculiar, making a difference in this world. And we pray this for the sake of Christ himself who is our God. Amen.